Welcome to an exciting forum of alternative viewpoints and balanced ideas. This is Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. That's Nav C and Nav M. Confused? Don't be, because two halves always become one. Now join us for an energized hour of global viewpoints and shared ideas, only for you. Now, here are your hosts, Nav and Nav. Hello and welcome to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. I'm your host, Nav C. And I'm your host, Nav M. Welcome to another hour of Alternative Views. This show will help you rethink, reshape and reform ongoing narratives. So this topic is about social isolation and I'd like to start with a quote by the American author Dan Brown. Even the technology that promises to unite us divides us. Each of us is now electronically connected to the globe and yet we feel utterly alone. And I think this is a very poignant quote for this week's episode given the rise of new technology over the past 30 years, especially new forms of social media which have emerged in the last decade which were initially designed to bring people together in new and innovative ways. But equally, there are many commentators who rail against this view by arguing that new technology has had only positive effects in terms of modern communication. Personally, I'm with the former camp because I believe that we've lost the essence of cohesiveness in our drive to pursue a distorted view of progress. And modern communication has simply become a battleground of noise and and the biggest victims are the smaller communities around us because essentially they are the building blocks of nations. And it seems today that airwaves were always destined to be filled with memories and not legions of noise. And communication should always involve perseverance, not convenience. And when this happens, I think we've lost the battle for our communities as they become more marginalized. And we also know that modern technology has reshaped our immediate environment and the perceived value of emotions. But does it truly offer a a better way of life or perhaps a life we actually wish to lead? But this is only one aspect of today's topic because we also focus on the harrowing effects of social isolation. And it was the philosopher Aristotle who stated that man is by nature a social animal. And yet in today's world, we are witnessing an unprecedented rise in people living alone. It represents one of the most important social changes of the postmodern era and indeed the millennial age. And it was during the post-war decades that global society slowly gravitated towards a situation where large parts of the population began living alone for extended periods of time. Today, however, living alone is prevalent among advanced industrial countries, where now we see it's common to see single-parent units accounting for more than 40% of all households uh, across Scandinavian countries, such as Sweden and Finland, and approximately one-third of households in Germany, France, and the UK, and approximately one-quarter of all households in the United States, Canada, Spain, and Japan. So in terms of a roadmap for today's episode, I'll, I'll continue with an introduction to the concepts of social isolation and introduce some figures based from recent U.S. surveys. And then NAPSI will explain the various meanings of social isolation, loneliness, and solitude, and also the effects 
on physical and mental health for individuals. And then in the next segment, we'll focus on a, a very unique form of social isolation, which actually originated in Japan, and it's known as hikikomori, where young and older adults shut themselves away from society, living a very reclusive life with virtually no human contact, apart from the parents who provide them with food and shelter. So we know that loneliness can affect people of any age and background, from an older person mourning the loss of a, a life partner to a young person who feels isolated from their peer groups and close friends. And as societies evolve over time, economic and technological advancements increase the risk of loneliness. And we can see this from flexible working hours, the introduction of remote working and solitary work practices, and also a, a shift uh, towards online shopping. And in addition, people are also living longer, but not necessarily experiencing a better quality of life to match those longer years. So it does appear that human contact is regressing from our lives because we interact with goods, services and public utilities all online rather than face-to-face -face contact. In local communities too, there are people who will go for days or weeks without seeing friends or family members. And it's this loss of social contact which erodes and damages our, our sense of humanity and, and the long-term health and well-being of society. And in a recent report published earlier this year in January 2020 on the state of loneliness in the United States, it provided a unique insight into the impact of loneliness in the modern workplace. And it was entitled Our Loneliness and the Workplace, and it was carried out by the global health insurer Signet. And the survey used a, a loneliness scale originally developed by UCLA to establish the level of loneliness among respondents. And the scores range from 20 to 80. And people scoring 43 were considered to be lonely. And uh, from that, a higher score suggests a, a greater level of social isolation. And the survey revealed that the average loneliness score in the US is actually 44. And what this suggests is that, that loneliness is a key factor affecting the majority of Americans, creating serious long-term health problems. The survey also revealed something remarkable about loneliness in younger generations, in that the younger generation is actually more lonelier than the older generation. And the survey also found that working excessively or, or too little even created factors leading to loneliness, suggesting that the work environment has an important effect on, on social relationships. But overall, the survey showed that social connection or the lack of it is now considered a major determinant of one's health and it sheds new light on the common perception that this problem was always limited to older adults because it actually affects people of, of various age groups. But up until this point, We've used the terms loneliness and social isolation interchangeably. But while the two are similar, they don't necessarily mean the same thing. So, for instance, a person could be standing alone in, in a large, unfamiliar crowd, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are socially isolated. So isolation or social isolation is an objective state whereby the number of contacts a person has are very few. Whereas loneliness is a, is a subjective state, 
and it's unique to each uh, person. So despite these different meanings, both experiences can be very painful and harmful to each person. So at this stage, I'll hand over to Anavsi, who will begin to examine the three interrelated conditions, being alone, isolation and loneliness in, in much more detail. And she'll begin with a brief description about, he, about how each condition um, serves us and, it, and its meaning. Thank you, Navem. Uh, I would like to start with uh, social isolation, as in what is social isolation? Social isolation refers to the absence of contact through personal relationships, which can then lead to loneliness. It involves being cut off from normal social networks and may involve uh, staying at home for lengthy periods of time with no access to services or, or a sense of community, community involvement and a little or no communication with uh, family, friends and acquaintances. Isolation also occurs when individuals are separated from others by living in a remote area or being emotionally removed uh, from a loved one or community. Due to these factors, an isolated person may experience low self-esteem via loneliness. Over time, an individual may develop uh, social anxiety, depression, or other mental uh, health concerns. There are many factors which contribute to social isolation, such as uh, loss of social mobility, unemployment, health, health issues, and long-term illness. Also, people may be uh, prevented from leaving their houses and making contact with other members of society due to disabilities, transport issues, econ uh, economic struggles, or domestic abuse. Other people may be physically able to go out and meet people, but are prevented from doing so by factors such as depression, social adversity, becoming a carer for a loved one, or due to bereavement. All of these factors can create barriers to maintaining social networks and can lead to loneliness and social isolation. So what are the characteristics of social isolation? Um, a person may be experiencing social isolation if they avoid social interaction due to shame or depression, spend extended period of time alone, experience uh, social anxiety fears or fears of abandonment at the idea of social interaction, have only limited or superficial social contact, have lack important social or professional relationships and develop a sense of distress and loneliness. Now, what is emotional isolation and how does it differ? Emotional isolation is the inability or unwillingness to share, one, share one's emotions with others due to a sense of detachment or numbness, which results in individuals being reluctant to discuss anything except mundane matters. Emotional isolation may arise from social isolation. A person may feel emotionally isolated despite being part of a social network. Even though relationships are necessary for our well-being, they can trigger negative feelings and thoughts. Hence, emotionalization can serve as a defense mechanism to protect a person from further distress. Someone in a close relationship can experience emotional isolation because one or both partners uh, could be feeling alone uh, within the relationship rather than being supported and valued. Infidelity, abuse, and other trust issues are very good examples uh, which give rise to such feelings. This brings us to loneliness. And what is loneliness? 
Loneliness is a universal human emotion that is both complex and unique to each individual. There is no single cause, prevention and treatment for this uh, potentially damaging state of mind and it can vary uh, significantly. For instance, a lonely child struggling to make friends at school has a different experience from an old, older uh, lonely adult who, whose spouse has recently passed away. So loneliness can be described as a state of solitude or even a state of mind. And the experience is usually uh, le- felt more than once a week. This brings us to solitude and what it is. Solitude refers to the state of being alone. It differs from person to person. Uh, Some people require more solitude than others. For example, introverts enjoy spending time alone and can feel exhausted through the the social interaction process. However, extroverts need more social interaction to feel appreciated and wanted. We should also remember that spending time alone is not necessarily a bad bad thing because solitude can be healthy experience because it allows individuals to reconnect with their inner feelings, which is very, very important. Now, it is important to see what we can learn from loneliness, isolation and solitude and see if there are any commonalities between these three conditions. So we've already discussed that solitude refers to a state of mind about being alone, whether perceived or real, while isolation is a lack of social relationships or emotional support. While loneliness is a craving for social contact, often linked to feelings of sadness and emptiness. As we can see, solitude, isolation and loneliness are similar terms, but with different meanings. Uh, Now we would like to look at the role of gender in isolation. The role of gender in isolation is complex and difficult to accurately predict because social and cultural factors vary on a country-to-country basis. Using uh, data as a guideline uh, from a study done in 2012 on British men, the results indicated that men tend to be more isolated than women. Approximately one in eight males has no close friends and 50% have two of your close friendships. Despite this isolation, men are less likely to admit feeling lonely. A 2012 study found men were more socially isolated than women. However, women and men reported similar satisfaction with their social support network. The study suggests the variation is due to gender socialization. Other research suggests that the presence of stubborn masculinity and can and it can dictate restrictive norms about how men think and feel and ca- can play a role in male isolation. Western cultures often portray men to be tough even at the expense of emotional connection. Therefore, men may be reluctant to admit that they are lonely for fear of showing vulnerability. Homophobia can deter men from seeking out friendships with other men. Also, sexism can cause them to to devalue friendships with women. Similarly, cultural and social factors can also isolate isolate women, especially if they represent a minority uh, at a work or a school environment. Research consistently reports that motherhood motherhood too can be very isolating. In most families, child-rearing disproportionately falls to the women. Recovering from childbirth um, can further isolate women as they 
as they, uh, can the demands of uh, a newborn child with breastfeeding, the logistics of bottle feeding and the physical challenges of traveling with an infant or a very young child. A person's gender may be at risk, may be a risk factor for isolation when they do not identify with the dominant model of gender. People who are gender fluid or non-binary may feel isolated or lonely, especially when uh, people around them do not accept or understand their gender. Now, this brings us to what are the health risks of social, social isolation, uh, mental health being one of the biggest. So isolation can increase the risk of mental health issues such as depression, dementia, social anxiety, and low self-esteem. Isolation and mental health issues feed into a vicious cycle because an individual might develop depression because of intense loneliness. They feel even more isolated because of their depression. And extreme isolation can have disastrous effect on mental health. By nature, humans are social creatures and with an innate need for human contact to thrive as a species. Negative effects on mental health include worsening depression, anxiety, mood disorders, and cognitive decline. The same scenario applies to infants who receive inadequate physical contact and inmates held in solitary confinement for extended periods of time. They may experience hallucinations, insomnia, and post-traumatic uh, stress uh, syndrome. Some of the main health effects of isolation and uh, lonely could also be higher levels of stress hormone and inflammation, heart disease, including high blood pressure, uh, heightened risk of developing a disability, chronic pay, uh, pain and fatigue, increased vulnerability to chronic illnesses such as uh, type 2 diabetes, chronic illness such as degenerative, degenerative mental illness or cancer. Uh, social isolation may even increase one's risk of premature death. According to research carried out in 2019, um, article for Medical Journal, the health risks linked to loneliness and social isolation are compared to the dangers of smoking and obesity, increasing risk of death up to 30%. Feeling alone increases the risk of death by about 26%, while social isolation and living alone increases mortality risks by 29% and 32%, respectively. Uh, so this brings uh, me to the end of my piece. Now I'm going to hand um, back to Nav M, who will discuss, discuss a unique form of social isolation in Japan, a phenomenon called uh, hikomori. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so Navsi has just provided a brief overview of social isolation, loneliness and solitude and possible f physical and mental health outcomes. And one of the main points established is that social isolation is a global problem that influences the health of in individuals across their lifetime from childhood to adulthood. Also, it impacts both individuals and family systems. So the risks of social isolation influence not only who you are, but also where you live geographically. And certain social and cultural environments foster social isolation, while others promote community contact and uh, a sense of mutual support. So at this point, we can examine social isolation from an alternative perspective by 
focusing on a unique and challenging phenomenon in Japan, which has been reported since the early 1970s, and it's called hikikomori. And this is a severe form of social withdrawal, originally described and prescribed in Japan, but recently reported in other countries too. Now, Japan is also unique among other major advanced economies of the G7, because it's experiencing what's known as a super-aging society. According to figures from the World Bank over the last decade, Japan's population has aged dramatically to the point where more than a quarter of the Japanese population are now 65 years and older. And population growth has now reversed and and with almost 30% of its population classed as elderly inhabitants, Japan is now classed as the oldest country in the world. However, what makes matters worse is the aging population coincides with a, a decrease in total population due to a, a, f- a falling birth rate. And the main reason for this is that Japan's fertility rate has been at historically low levels for decades. So the consequences are, are quite stark. A rapidly de- declining birth rate And what we see from this is a burgeoning elderly population, which will require vast amounts of uh, medical intervention and treatment. And because the number of young people are simultaneously decreasing, there simply won't be enough people to take care of the seniors in Japan. So this is the backdrop for our next section on hikikomori. So let's take a closer look at this unique phenomenon. But first, let's start with a very brief context. So from the period 2000 to 2015, the percentage of men in Japan who have never married has doubled from 13 to 26%. Also, the number of older adults living alone has almost doubled from 3 million to 6 million, according to recent figures published by the Cabinet Office, Government of Japan in 2019. So why is the Japanese population decreasing and why are young people not starting families? Well, the answer to this is deeply rooted within the structure of Japanese society. And we've seen news articles over the last two decades or so, and they focus on the high levels of depression in Japanese society and also Japan's high suicide rate. But more recently, the term hikikomori has gained acute media attention over the past decade. And hikikomori is a term describing people who shut themselves off from society and live in a very solitary lifestyle, often for several years. However, health professionals and psychologists don't actually classify as a depressive order. And hikikomori individuals stop going to school, they cut off contact with other people and society and begin to spend their lives inside their house, seldom going outdoors. Many never leave their own room and communicate with their parents only through their bedroom door. And the hikikomori are able to maintain this lifestyle for a long period of time, often with the help of their supporting parents, mainly mothers. However, the detailed picture of this type of socialization, social isolation, is not fully understood because it's closely tied with structural problems within Japanese society. And it also weakens family relationships, close friendships and social participation among the young and old populations in Japan. So let's look at a definition of hikikomori. 
It refers to those young people, usually males, that have totally cut themselves off from society and are sometimes even cut off from connections from family members, and they stay in their rooms for at least six months. And depending on their parents, usually the mother, they stay in their room completely alone, not even facing or talking to their parents. And in the typical scenario, the mother, in principle, does not condone her child's behavior, but will continue to leave food outside the bedroom door to keep her child alive. And some people have viewed this as a way of supporting this reclusive lifestyle. But in certain cases, individuals have also been known to stay alone in their room for three to four years consecutively without meeting or facing people because they're afraid of contact with the real world. And their daily routine revolves around internet, uh, internet activities or reading books and manga or Japanese comics. And the researcher Andy Furlong published a, a paper in the journal Sociological Review in 2008. And he classifies hikikomori into five different categories. The first is the psychologically impaired. It's those young people that require psychiatric intervention. The second is otaku, which is the Japanese word for a derogatory word for nerd. Example, someone who spends a lot of time reading manga and playing video games. The third category is alternative scene. This refers to those people searching alternatives and refusing to conform. The fourth category is the isolated young people or young lonely people who, who try their best to seek social relationships. And the fifth is the anxious traveler. It's those young people dealing with difficult transitions. Example, the transition from education to occupation. But while it's true that a majority of hikikomori can be classified within these five categories, there are many kinds of hikikomori, those who do not fit into these particular classifications. And one ex good example are caregivers. And the truth is that hikikomori are young, isolated adults with an acute fear of society. And the tragedy is that many are highly intelligent and talented people who shun society because they need to stay in their rooms and, and feel this need to protect themselves. And according to research carried out by the Japanese cabinet, the average hikikomori is now around 30 years of age and 60% of hikikomori are usually men and 40% become reclusive in their early 20s. The expression hikikomori is derived from two w verbs, hiku meaning pull or draw and komoru which means hidden. Therefore, hikikomori forms a word meaning to pull back or withdraw, and it's become a definition to describe youth that have essentially withdrawn from society and also to define the phenomenon as a whole. So right now we're coming up to a short break, and we'll continue our discussion in the next segment. There'll be much more to come. We'll see you very shortly. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. On Read My Lips Radio, producer and host, a.k.a. Radio Red, invites you to eavesdrop on her live, unscripted conversations with smart, savvy, creative people as she discovers what makes them tick, where they find their inspiration, when creativity first became their passion, and how their creative process can inspire the rest of us to think out of the box. Enjoy, a.k.a. Radio Red's always lively, cool conversations with creatives. Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Oh, how those lips can talk. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. To find out more about us and the ideas behind our show, visit our website at gmc-radio.com. That's gmc-radio.com. Now, back to Good Morning Canada. Welcome back. You're listening to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. It's great to have your company. So in the last segment, we were discussing the definition of hikikomori. Now, let's take a look at the underlying causes of this unique phenomenon. Firstly, there's undue pressure from society. So within Japanese society, there's a huge amount of pressure from a variety of sources. And this includes pressure from parents by constantly pushing their child to study and work hard and to succeed in society, which all in all brings honor to the family. There's pressure from classmates, relatives, and neighbors through personal rivalry or perhaps economic comparisons. And children that are bullied in school for acting or behaving differently will often drop out of the education system for extended periods of time, and then it's very difficult for them to get back on track and back into the system. And what this does is it it poses immense problems for a child's future, especially in terms of stress or anxiety. And the process of transition is often the hardest factor to come to terms with. Because at one point, individuals are studying to find a job and learning how to survive on their own two feet. And then suddenly they're cast aside with no focal point in their lives. So if we look at this from a different perspective, in the UK, many pre-university students take a year out to pursue leisure and vocational interests with the aim of broadening their perspective and perhaps gaining valuable life experience. And this is 
always been encouraged as a step towards broadening the individual's personal outlook and and uh, employers generally view this uh, very positively as as real life experience but in Japan by dropping out the system at an early age and not pursuing the norm of going from high school to university and then from university to working at a company this has devastating personal consequences both emotionally and psychologically in addition to creating negative perspe- uh, perceptions on an individual's resume and similarly any personal failure within the work environment and throughout a person's career is regarded as a indelible stain on on someone's character and and the traditional hierarchy of institutions in Japan will rarely pardon this uh, particular type of behavior and individuals are thought of as as disloyal by this very closed system but also there's a a sense of shame from one's immediate social environment such as friends family neighbors and extended informal networks neighbors will notice that an individual is at home during the middle of the day because they failed to attend work or school or a car never leaves a driveway and people quickly draw conclusions about personal problems and employment issues so th- this constant pressure becomes difficult to cope with especially for someone in their early teens or 20s and this explains why they they shut themselves away in their rooms and what this does is it starts a, a vicious cycle because the longer someone remains in their room the harder it is to face the scrutiny of the outside world from possibly shamed parents or spying neighbors or old classmates who have already succeeded in securing very good jobs at influential companies but more importantly there's increased pressure from this overbearing shame which is pervasive within japanese society and it heightens the feeling of personal failure and low self-esteem and it's this japanese concept of shame which plays a significant role in the process of people becoming a recluse in the eyes of society so in japanese culture it's referred to as doitakio which refers to the sense of shame originating from the outside world and it's then directed inward towards the individual and the second underlying cause we're going to look at is bullying in school So bullying usually begins at an early age in Japan due to the societal societal pressures that we've just mentioned to conform and and it becomes so severe that it creates lasting mental wounds. And also what we have to remember is that in in Japanese schools they're very very strict environments with little or no provision for pastoral care of students which means anyone who doesn't adapt quickly to rigid ideas of conformity will will become socially ostracized very soon and what makes things worse is that parents overlook the initial bullying from classmates and then they apportion blame towards the to the uh, to the victim or the bullied child and eventually not being able to cope or keep up with the constant pressure from parents the child eventually just drops out of school and the and this is where the process the actual process of isolation begins and to make things worse japanese society by its very nature is very insular and p- 
personal problems and difficulties are rarely discussed openly and there's a tendency to hide problems by just brushing them under the carpet. Also, Japanese people will naturally hesitate before discussing sensitive subjects such as hikikomori, depression, suicide, psychological diseases or disorders. And because of this mentality, it's difficult to identify the the underlying problems which go to the heart of, of these issues. And there's also a tendency for Japanese people to constantly look for a scapegoat instead of establishing the root causes of a human problem, such as trauma or emotional and psychological issues. And, and we've seen this over time where, uh, for instance, in the work environment, um, executives of, of large companies, they, they commit suicide um, because they've been made a scapegoat for a particular issue. And the fourth underlying cause is uh, the lack of um, outward emotion. So there's an argument which states that showing emotion is, is rarely favoured in Japan and Japanese society as a whole. And a larger proportion of Japanese mothers, we, we see that they, they, they don't kiss or hug their children and husband and wives rarely show any kind of intimacy at home, let alone in the public, which suggests a, a lack of affection and outward emotion in, in many Japanese homes. So then we can ask, is hikikomori a disease? Can it be considered as an actual disease? Well, the majority of Japanese society views hikikomori as a, as a problem of lazy and disconnected youth who avoid any form of hardship. And as soon as they encounter hardship, they just simply stay at home. But on the other hand, Western psychologists are quick to identify the, the symptoms which accompany this particular ailment, such as sleeplessness, emotional numbness, and suicidal tendencies. So moving on, the fifth underlying cause is the post-war uh, mentality. So after the end of the Second World War, the majority of the map Japanese population were living in extreme poverty due to the destruction of major cities from continuous Allied bombing, as, as well as the two atomic bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And as a result of American economic aid, the, the country began to rebuild the economy and infrastructure uh, from the ground up to create a, a new national sentiment. And due to the personal endurance and willpower of its population, Japan rose from being a, essentially a country in ruins to becoming the world's second largest economy. And it was during this rebuilding period that the nation's goal was to become a major economic force uh, rather than a, a dominant military force, which it had, which it had pursued previously in, in the uh, 19th uh, century and early 20th century. So uh, to achieve this, individuals and their families were encouraged to work excessively and constantly for the corporate power structure. And although Japan entered a long-term recession in the late 1980s to the early 1990s, it was clear that excessive target chasing in terms of economic and financial power had taken a heavy toll on its population. And that's where we started to see that suicide rates were at an all-time high and many individuals had literally worked themselves to death. Now, when we compare this situation to postmodern Japan, we realize that 
the long-anticipated goals of economic stability and growth had already been reached. And Japanese youth from the millennial era had completely changed their outlook on, on life. And the, the newer generation had observed their parents, uh, this ritual uh, of, of the, the previous generation working themselves to the limit. And, and they saw very little reason to follow in the same uh, regimented process, which was occupied purely with work. So the, the newer generation have grown up in, a, in an uh, economic environment accustomed to material wealth and, and they're seeking different types of personal freedom based on leisure, travel and friendship instead of material richness. Also, they identify with newer economic ideals based on convenience and, and leasing rather than struggle and ownership. So... Again, let's move on to the the sixth underlying cause, which is the concept of Ami. That's spelled A-M-A-E. So loosely translated, the word Ami means emotional dependence. And it's to the reciprocation of goodwill and understanding between two people. So from the context of Japanese society, it refers to a state of clinging on and being reliant on an individual. And from a parent-child perspective, one example could be a child exhibiting self-indulgent behavior, such as demanding attention or acting spoiled. So how is this concept of AMI manifested? Well, it's expressed in the form of an infant clinging to his mother and similarly the mother indulging the infant. The mother will then respond to the needs and demands of her infant and Hence, a unique bond develops and, and they form a symbiotic relationship. However, the, the, the mother-child relationship extends well beyond early childhood and, and, and eventually goes all the way into adulthood. And someone operating under the structure of AMI will actively source an, a, another individual at will or later on in their life whom they can be dependent on and accept their indulgence. So once the concept of AMI is accepted, it, be, it becomes easier to understand how a Japanese mother continues to support her reclusive child with food and shelter because these concepts are completely alien to, to most people in the Western Hemisphere. But it's worth pointing out that there are many cases of hikikomori where violence has been shown towards parents if they, if they do not concede to the particular demands that the child is making. And in this situation, the mother would have no option but simply demonstrate a, a display of compliance. So then we can ask, does the existence of hikikomori point to other factors as an explanation for this phenomenon? And we've seen from the previous piece that the extent of hikikomori has become a major source of concern for both health professionals and policymakers in Japan because it disproportionately affects young people uh, who are vulnerable to psychological distress and social stigma. And this leads overall to a deteriorating physical health and a loss of opportunities within the education and work environment. And the suffering extends not only to the individual and the immediate family, but also society at large, because it compromises the efficient 
functioning of of the the workforce and the the labor market and also the the public health systems but in recent years researchers and health practitioners across the world have reported the existence of patients with similar patterns of severe social withdrawal in other countries such as Hong Kong, mainland China, South Korea, India and the United States. So what this does is it challenges the view that hikikomori is indeed a syndrome purely restricted to Japan and then we ask whether it's more pre prevalent than it originally uh, we thought. And despite the growing presence of hikikomori globally, globally there's been a, an alternative viewpoint that this phenomenon should be considered as a self-imposed lifestyle of isolation and it could be a reaction to the pressures of, of a globalized Japanese society from individuals who consciously refuse to adapt to mainstream social norms. And it's possible that hikikomori and inter internet addiction are closely related because these same individuals spend much of their time retreating to anonymous and potentially dark web spaces. So we can now ask, does social media cause isolation? So we know that social media was always originally designed to make users feel more connected. However, research suggests that it may have the opposite effect for younger people. And a March 2017 study published in the American Journal of preventative medicine focused on young adults between the age of 19 and 32 and it was interesting to see what they found that heavy social media users had high levels of perceived social isolation and the most frequent users were three times more likely to feel isolated compared to the least frequent users but equally social media offers some users an, an access to a sense of community uh, that wasn't there before or belonging uh, for uh, many parts of the population. And this is especially true for marginalized individuals who have trouble connecting with people due to their physical location. And social media certainly contributes to loneliness when it replaces interpersonal connections or when interactions online tries to substitute real conversation. But nevertheless, the, the, the correlation between social media and isolation is a pressing issue in modern societies which are heavily reliant on technology. And, and the reason for this is because mental health problems and social isolation are epidemic levels among young adults. After all, humans are social creatures, but modern society tends to classify all of us as individuals instead of bringing us together. And while it may seem that social media presents opportunities to fill that void, it's also possible that it may not be the solution that people had originally hoped for. And this is because it's difficult to establish whether excessive social media use actually came first or did the sense of social isolation come afterwards. And we can see that there are three ways in which social media could make social isolation more problematic. Firstly, there's the use of social media because it di displaces real social experiences. And that's because the more time a person spends online, the, the less time there is for actual real-world interactions. 
Secondly, there's there, there are certain characteristics of social me media which facilitate feelings of being ex uh, sorry excluded, such as when a person sees photos of their friends having uh, fun at an event um, and they haven't been invited. So this this constant feeling of um, social exclusion. And the third reason is that there's a constant exposure to peer groups on social media sites, and this generates feelings of envy and, and this distorted belief that others lead a happier and more successful life. But despite this, majority of people still need face-to-face -face social connectivity in order to improve their physical and psychological well-being of the course of their lives and relying too much on social media and online social networks for a sense of connectiveness can easily backfire and we've seen this uh, uh, in, in many cases when it leads to people uh, uh, towards harmful activities such as online grooming or human trafficking, extortion and other similar activities. So then we come to a, a much broader issue, a, uh, what we can describe as a, a burning question for our time. So having reviewed different viewpoints, definitions and classifications of social isolation, we can now come to a fundamental juncture in, in this discussion. Are individuals living in contemporary, uh, in contemporary society more isolated than, than ever before, than, than previous generations? And central to this enduring questions are two closely related thoughts. Firstly, is there a connection between our understanding of modernity um, and the way we see contemporary society uh, and the global experience? And one way of approaching this is from a comparative viewpoint. In other words, the time spent by modern global citizens in their private life has actually been superseded or taken over by what previous world powers such as the 19th century Europeans called a dedication to public life. And sometimes it would be referred to as social charity. But in other words, it, it's time which was devoted to social interaction with people outside their immediate circles or their family and friends. And the second point is, has the role of technology become a disruptive social force. So to some degree, techno technological innovation is a crucial factor in understanding the latest research on isolation and loneliness. But humanity has witnessed the most fundamental changes in technology, especially over the last 40 years, such as modern cars and planes, email, cell phones, text messaging, video links conferencing and social networking sites and they've all vastly expanded and lowered the cost of social interaction. Technological in innovation, new forms of social media have completely reshaped the ways in which global citizens interact with one another and, and, and the meanings that they derive from such relationships. And we can also see that technological innovation, it certainly provides useful insights into the relationship between social isolation and a more fragmented society. But does this necessarily imply an, uh, that there's evidence of deeper social isolation? So, for instance, to examine this, we can, we, we can look at this from the viewpoint of recent events in relation to COVID-19. 
And we've seen that there have certainly been costs of social isolation in, in terms of the loneliness which has developed from, uh, from the recent events. So the rapid spread of COVID-19 and the, and the subsequent social distancing restrictions, and in addition to the public health interventions, have contributed to an unprecedented crisis in, in the form of social isolation. And throughout this period, we've seen that the most at-risk population have been those adults aged over 80 years of age. And, and they've been faced with much higher fatality risk from the virus and than uh, the general population. And as documented earlier, the, the costs of social isolation are very high for individuals within the at-risk groups, such as high blood pressure, high cortisol levels, disrupted sleep patterns, cancer, and cardiovascular disease. And although social interactions and networks decline with advanced age, relationships forged later in life tend to be much better quality, featuring uh, greater emotional closeness and less negativity than when we compare this with younger populations. So the impact of current social isolation policies may fall much heavier on older adults. And, and this compromises their, their ability to fight the infection. And we, we can see that the current period of social isolation would disproportionately affect the elderly population whose previous social contacts occurred largely at community centers or places of worship, which are now mostly still closed due to the current crisis. And also, those who do not have close family or friends, they rely on the support of voluntary services or social care, could be placed at additional risk, along with those who are already lonely, isolated or secluded. And in addition, social isolation resulting from COVID-19 lockdowns can lead to an increased case of psychosis and suicidal behavior, as well as other high rates of uh, hospitalization. So we can also see that there's um, there's some very positive um, breakthroughs as well. I mean, the one um, particular point is this idea of warm distancing. This is where we can see that video conferencing can at least reduce some of the harmful effects of long periods of self-isolation, thus improving long-term health. But Overall, these efforts can reduce negative feelings of isolation and depression, which undoubtedly affect existing lonely individuals and cut them off from social contact due to the existing crisis. So let's uh, wrap up now. Let's look at some final thoughts and closing remarks. So we've seen that most individuals tend to actively engage in face-to-face -face contact and promote intimate close human bonds to nourish biological systems and neural networks which have evolved over millennia to preserve a high quality of life. Also, we've seen that when applied correctly, social media and online networks have the power to strengthen human bonds and add a sense of cohesiveness to people's lives. But finding the correct balance for one's personal social media use appears to be the key to benefiting from these networks. Otherwise, there's a clear risk of negative re repercussions, both psychological and physical. And in recent years, there's been a broad uptake in research on social isolation, mainly due to concerns about the disruptive role of technology and new platforms of social media. 
And we've explored this viewpoint earlier by drawing attention to the division between those researchers who believe social media has exacerbated a sense of isolation among the population and those who believe the claims are largely unproven. And it's definitely true that in contemporary society, opportunities to, new, uh, to meet new people have been greatly expanded due to innovative technology. But nevertheless, forming relationships in the world we live in have become transitory. And essentially, we can argue that relationships are very cheap to acquire to the extent that having a multitude of friends from various corners of the social space is now actually a very common and almost a, a cheap experience. And, and here is the real irony that socially isolated people are not individuals without connections, but in fact, they're people who create connections for the sake of adding connections uh, and, and they become similar to mementos. So ultimately, the, the, these connections, they carry little or no meaning. And this is the true face of contemporary isolation that we see around us. And that's all we have time uh, for today in this episode. Many thanks for listening to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. We really appreciated your company today. Just a quick mention that the show is syndicated to iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn and Google Play. Simply sub sub subscribe via their apps to make sure you never miss a show. And to contact us, go online at gmc-radio.com. You can send feedback by emailing us at info at gmc-radio.com. Please like, share and comment. Connect via our social channels, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern. Thanks very much. Bye for now. Bye for now. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Good Morning Canada. Please join NAVC and NAVM for another great program next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you soon. Yeah.